Welcome to Inside the Vatican with America Media. Each week, veteran Vatican reporter Gerard O'Connell and I take you behind the headlines for an intergenerational conversation about the biggest stories out of the Vatican. This week, we'll cover the surprise announcement that the Pope plans to visit Iraq in March. Then, what is Darth Vader doing in the Vatican's nativity scene? Finally, Pope Francis has declared a year of St. Joseph. We'll tell you the whys and hows of all of it on this week's show. I'm Colleen Deli. This is Inside the Vatican. Good morning from New Orleans, Jerry. Good afternoon from a cold Rome, Colleen. The temperature has dropped. It's clear we're coming near Christmas. Mm-hmm. It's a little bit chilly here, too, which is rare for New Orleans. Um, Jerry, let's get into our first story. Uh, Last week, the Vatican dropped this surprise announcement that Pope Francis will be visiting Iraq from March 5th through 8th of next year. Um, Obviously, we'll talk about a lot of the concerns that have arisen around this trip, not least of which is coronavirus. But before we talk about that, let me ask you, why does the Pope want to go to Iraq? Well, it's a country which has suffered for 30 years, because even before the war in the 1990s, Iraq was uh, in a difficult situation. The end of the Saddam periods, Saddam more or less protected the Christians, but after 9-11, you remember the, it was first of all, the Americans attacked in Afghanistan, and then there was the build-up to the war in Iraq. On my orders, coalition forces have begun striking selected targets of military importance to undermine Saddam Hussein's ability to wage war. These are opening stages of what will be a broad and concerted campaign. And I remember this very well. I was here in Rome, and I remember John Paul II, first of all, calling in all the ambassadors and saying, a war in Iraq is going to have disaster for the whole region. And uh, it's going to also create real problems between Christians and Muslims, but also within the different countries of the region. And then he sent his envoys uh, cardinal Roger Echegaray, the French cardinal, he sent him to Saddam Hussein to try and get him to uh, make some movement to avoid the war. And then he sent Cardinal Pio Laghi, the Italian diplomat who knew the Bush family, to speak with George Bush. And uh, that didn't work out. The cardinal carried a personal letter from the Pope to uh, the President Bush. When he came in, uh, he made it clear that uh, he had come from the Pope. He was asking them not to go to war, to find continued negotiation, to find a solution. But uh, he, he found that uh, the atmosphere, it was effectively decided already they were going to go to war. And he, he handed the letter from John Paul II to uh, President Bush, and President Bush didn't open it. He just took the letter and put it on the table without opening it. And that said everything. And the Vatican in the message that Cardinal Laghi conveyed to President Bush, he said, first of all, this will be a disaster for the region. It will impact on Christian-Muslim relations, and it will have consequences we don't know, and that it will be very difficult. You may have an entry strategy, you haven't got an exit strategy. And we see that. And that's exactly how it's played out. We've seen the, the disaster it has caused. Right. And especially for the Christian community in Iraq, right? For the Christians, they were about one and a half million at that time. That We're talking about 2003. Today, maybe 250,000, maybe less, maybe slightly more. Nobody knows exactly. But really, they have been decimated. And uh, so the Pope Francis 
from the beginning, from when he took, when he became Pope, he, he, he had great concern for what was happening in the Middle East, what was happening in Iraq, in Syria, and of course in the Holy Land, in Israel-Palestine. And uh, he's taken in, tried initiative after initiative to promote peace. And he wants personally to, to go there. Right. You know, we, we've seen that Francis in his, in his papal visits really likes to prioritize visiting countries that have struggling and small Christian populations. Um, and we know that he wants to give hope to these folks, but at the same time, there are also these concerns about both security and about health, right? With the coronavirus, you reported that uh, Francis and those traveling with him would be vaccinated before taking this trip, according to your sources. And we know actually that the Vatican has purchased enough doses of the coronavirus vaccine for all of its employees and their families. But, uh, you know, then we look at the situation on the ground in Iraq, right? With the coronavirus, um, cases are down, things are open again, people are masking. But this is a really unpredictable virus. Um, so what health measures are being envisioned? What are they taking into account when planning this trip? From the health point of view, it, yes, it's clear that the Vatican, the Pope, and those the Vatican officials who will travel with him will have been vaccinated. But uh, presumably also the journalists, we don't yet know if, if we will ha have a vaccine because in Italy it's not clear that by that date the vaccines would have been made available to the younger people, the elder people, the frontline uh, responders will have it early on, then the very old people, and then other people. So it's not clear. I also understand that uh, while in normal papal flights, about 70, 65, 70 journalists travel with the Pope, this time perhaps half that number uh, will, will be because of the need to do spacing on the social distancing on the plane, etc. Uh, Jerry, what do we know about the the vaccine in Iraq? I can't imagine that you know these big crowds of people uh, are are going to be some of the first in line to get the vaccine. So, do we think it'll be safe for for large crowds together? Well, all I can tell you, I, I was listening to the patriarch of Jerusalem, Father Pizzabal. This morning, he gave a, a webinar to a number of the journalists here in Rome. And he, uh, speaking from Jerusalem, he himself is positive. But he said, he was asked a question about, specifically about the Pope's visit to Iraq. And he said, it's a very courageous gesture. He said, it's courageous uh, also given the fact that the political situation is not exactly calm, tranquil, and also that the COVID is still spreading. And he said, there's no guarantee. It's very, he said, it's highly unlikely that the majority of the people there will have the vaccine by the time of the visit. Mm -hmm. It seems like taking this all into account, you know, I feel like there's probably a good chance that this this might be delayed, this visit. Well, John Paul II, uh, they postponed, he never went. Uh, Francis is determined to go. A delay is possible because they said when they announced the trip, when the Vatican announced the trip, it, they said that they will take into consideration, of course, the pandemic, the evolution of the pandemic at that time. Now, as you know, and as our listeners know well, Francis likes the physical contact with people. Uh, it's a big risk for him. Um, Jerry, 
you know, we know that Francis in the past has has not shied away from risks to his own safety. Um, what does this look like for him? What what is his line of thinking maybe around around his personal safety on this trip? Yes, we we, we know very well. I remember when we went into the Central African Republic and they were shooting the the, the week before he arrived. Yeah, in the middle of a war. Yes, and he said, if if you don't take me in, I mentioned on this program, you know, I, I, I'll give me a parachute and I'll go in. He told the <laughs> the pilot, but <laughs> the, the, the reality is he's been asked about this, and he said, "Well, I'm in God's hands. Uh, I do what He wants. Uh, all I want is that I don't have to suffer a lot." Yeah, it, it seems like there's you know a, a an issue of trying to balance needs here, right? There's there's the health needs of the people, there's the pastoral need of this this community that's really been decimated to to get some hope, um, but then there's there's also the question of Francis's health. There's there's a lot held in the balance here and a lot of uncertainty about where the coronavirus is going, where the political situation is going. So for our listeners, if you want to read more, I'll link to Jerry's articles about this upcoming visit to Iraq in our show notes. Reactions to the installation, both on the ground and on social media, have been mixed. It made me think of bowling pins with a baby Jesus as a ball. I liked it, but I preferred last year's. But it's not too bad. The Vatican uses a different nativity scene each year. For a second story, on Friday, December 11th, the Vatican officially unveiled its nativity scene, which caught some criticism because it had a more modern design. So the scene includes a selection of statues that were part of a 54-piece nativity set that was made at an art-focused high school in Italy in the 1960s and 70s. Um, It's a little bit hard to describe, so you might want to look at some photos if you haven't seen it for our listeners. But basically, these figures are all made of ceramic, and they're all sort of pillar-like in shape. Um, And the part that really caught the most attention was that the scene also includes an astronaut and a figure in kind of a a Darth Vader-like helmet uh, coming to adore the Christ child. Jerry, uh, let's talk about this. Can Can you put this in context for me first? Have there been Vatican nativity scenes like this in the past? Like this one? No, but there have been other ones. And remember the point. Eight centuries ago, Francis of Assisi uh, set up the first crib, and and Pope Francis went to visit that scene last year. And it it was a way of communicating one of the central messages of the, the Christian religion to people, to ordinary people. And bringing in these various characters of contemporary times has been a feature of crib making in Italy. You go to Naples, they make a lot of cribs, and every year there's some different figures in it, uh, contemporary figures in it. And so, what is the fact? Even in the original crib, you you have the the ox and the ass. These are not in in, in the Gospels, but they're part of every crib around the world. Mm -hmm. And secondly, uh, putting in a a different kind of figure like the astronaut, etc., or Darth Vader, it attracts attention. <laughs> and what is it? the attention? It attracts attention to the crib. So people come to see the crib and they get the central message as well. Pope Francis actually wrote a letter on nativity scenes last year uh, where he was encouraging everyone to put one up. But there's a section in there where he says, you know, sometimes people like to add, especially children, but adults too, like to add fanciful figures, he says, to to the set. And he thinks that this is a good thing because it uh, it draws attention to how 
you know, the incarnation, the birth of Christ is is for everyone across all times and spaces and, and creatures, right? And, and remember, around the square in the colonnades, there are 100 other, 100 other cribs. Mm-hmm. And this hasn't got publicity, but people who go to the square— No, it's kind of like a festival of, of nativity scenes, right? Yes, and it, it's focusing on the, the Son of God became man. And— uh, it attracts, and I've seen every Christmas, I don't know what it will be like this Christmas because of COVID, but I've seen there are traffic jams as people, families, parents bring their children, grandparents bring their children. Adults come to see. They come and they pray. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I think this is, you know, the introduction of the uh, these ceramic figures, the astronaut, Darth Vader, etc. Uh, for purists, it may be disturbing that they would prefer the more traditional element. Right. I I wrote an article about this, and uh, and I spoke to maybe one of these purists, uh, an art historian, Elizabeth Love, who who lives in Rome, and she she was disappointed in the set, and she said that she thinks that after this really difficult year, people would have wanted to lean on something more traditional, right? Not something that that makes them think, that makes them you know try to interpret the art in different ways, or maybe jars them in some way. Um, but I'm curious, you know, neither of us are art experts, and we should say that, so can take our opinions with a grain of salt. But um, what's what's your take on on the scene? Well, the, the, the fact is that amidst all the commercialization of Christmas, the stores, the shops, etc., here's something which is pointing to the central message of Christmas. And because that has got publicity, people will want to come and see. And what will they see? They'll see the central message, the, the child in the manger. Mm-hmm. I find the Darth Vader character a little distracting, but I actually, I like the inclusion of the astronaut. Like, I think that it's a good reminder, as Francis said in his his letter, right, that that Christ came for all people and even, you know, things beyond this earth. It's a good reminder that, like, the whole universe is, is under God's control. And I, I appreciate that. Also, I think it's just kind of fun to include an astronaut. If our listeners want to learn more about this ceramic nativity set, uh, I've got an interview and and some context in an article that I will link to in the show notes. Jerry, uh, to close us out, Pope Francis announced on December 8th that starting on that day, the Feast of the Immaculate Conception, we are now in a year dedicated to St. Joseph, a year of St. Joseph. And much like the year of mercy that we had a few years ago, there's an indulgence attached to that that you can uh, read more about in the articles in the show notes. But Jerry, you know, I want us to zoom out a little bit here. Why did Pope Francis want to dedicate a year to St. Joseph? Well, 150 years ago, when the popes lost the papal states in 1870, uh, this happened on 20 September 1870, and then on the December 8th, Pope Pius IX declared St. Joseph as the patron of the church. Hmm. Why, Why is it significant that that came after the loss of the papal states? Because at that time, it it was a big shock, in a way, to the Catholic Church, the Catholic world, that uh, the Pope didn't have his own 
pr protection is, uh, and would be perhaps at the mercy of. It's it's a really historic moment in the history of the church, and of course now we see in benefit it was a blessing, but it was at that moment there was a lot of real concern, upset, etc., and the Pope chose Saint Joseph because. Joseph had protected the child Jesus and his mother. And so he wanted him to protect the church. And similarly, today, at another crisis point, 150 years later, when not just the church and the papal state, but the whole world is in a crisis, Francis, who has had great devotion to St. Joseph, said he wanted to bring St. Joseph protection to the whole world. And he said, for me, he's the patron of the immigrants, of the those who are in, who are in difficulties, those who are forced to exile, those who are in war, who are suffering from war, etc. He sees it as the patron of the unfortunate. Right, and the patron of a lot of groups that have been hit particularly hard by the coronavirus, not just migrants, but you know, a lot of people are unemployed right now, and he's known as St. Joseph the Worker. There's a lot of parents who are struggling with trying to balance their kids with their work, and and he's, you know, a parent, he's reflective. It's it's all these things that Francis has been talking about and trying to draw attention to. He's written this very beautiful letter, uh, which is uh, six, seven pages. And uh, one of the things that struck me, he says, you know, you, when, when you read Francis's document, you have to read the footnotes. Mm -hmm. And uh, two footnotes struck me in this document. One is where he said, for 40 years, more than 40 years, I've been saying a prayer to St. Joseph, and I found this prayer in, in a French missal. And in that prayer, he says, St. Joseph, whose power makes the impossible possible, come to my aid in these times of anguish and difficulty. Mm. I, I found that an extraordinary sentence, who makes the impossible possible. And he's been saying it every morning for more than 40 years. And that struck me very much because, obviously, People, many people see their situation as impossible today. Mm -hmm. People struggling to find money to put food on the table in many places. That's right. And he's very conscious of this. And then he's very interesting. He says St. Joseph had creative courage. And he, he's, he says, he, he links it to four dreams, how God uh, came to him and gave him messages and dreams. And the first one regarded our the, the Mary, the mother of Jesus. And he was betrothed, and he, she was with child. And in a footnote, he says that if Joseph hadn't taken Mary into his home and made her his wife, she could have been stoned. Uh, th th this is a beautiful uh, letter, and I would recommend that our leaders, readers get access to it. Maybe we can just you can put it in the show notes, Colleen. Yeah, I will. Um, yeah, this is a really beautiful letter. It's called Patris Cordae in Latin. Um, the one thing that stood out to me was that Francis said that maybe it was just one little line that stuck out that maybe Jesus took took inspiration for the parable of the prodigal son from his own relationship with Joseph. And you know, I, I read that and just teared up. This this beautiful, most beautiful parable in the Gospels. You know about uh, a son needing to to seek his father's forgiveness, that, that Jesus would have had that relationship with Joseph. Just, <laughs> it humanizes him so much. Yeah, and I, I should tell you one thing, that Pope Francis has a real devotion to St. Joseph. On his desk here in Rome, 
in the Vatican, he has a little wooden statue of St. Joseph. Of St. Joseph sleeping, right? Yes. And what does he do? When he has got real big problems or when people ask him uh, to help in a desperate situation, he writes on a piece of paper and he puts it onto the statue. Uh, and that's his way and he's saying, you know, your power makes the impossible possible. Come to my aid in these times of anguish and difficulty. And he says this prayer. We think of leaders having, you know, high technology and, you know, the president of the United States with these this bag that carries the atomic codes. And, and here's the Pope with this little wooden statue on his desk and putting messages under it to remind St. Joseph, we need your help. <laughs> it feels like, it, it feels really like like a down-home kind of expression of faith, right? Like I can imagine a, a grandmother doing this. Yes, and this is where Francis has reached the hearts of people because he's made believing in God and, and being a disciple following Jesus simple. He, he, he's not put it in the clouds of theology. He's put it on what children three, four, five years old can understand, and an old person who is uh, on the deathbed can understand. We, our life is very complicated often, and he has uh, said, you know, here's something that's quite simple. That's right, and that's that's often what can get right to our hearts. So if our listeners want to read Patrice Corde, Pope Francis's letter on St. Joseph, uh, and also learn more about the year of St. Joseph. I will link to both of those in the show notes and you can read more there. Jerry, uh, thanks so much for taking some time to, to walk over to the studio on this cold morning and, and talk to me about all these stories. Uh, yeah, I really appreciate the chance to get to talk to you about them. Well, happy preparations for Christmas to, to our listeners and let's hope we can see the COVID going down. Amen. All right, I'll talk to you next week. Inside the Vatican is a production of America Media. This week's episode was produced by Maggie Van Dorn. Production assistance from the Jesuit Curia in Rome. Inside the Vatican is mixed by Noah Levinson. You can find in-depth and up-to-date Vatican coverage at americamagazine.org or follow us on Twitter at I-N-S-D-E Vatican Pod. That's inside without the second I, Vatican Pod. You can also email us your comments and questions at insidethevatican at americamedia.org. For America Media with Gerard O'Connell, I'm your host and producer, Colleen Belly. We'll see you next time.